0: Hi, and welcome to Arundel Bible Chapel. Thanks again for joining us here online today, whether you're listening by podcast or uh, or watching. We count it a real privilege that you would just set some time aside to worship the Lord with us, both in music and, uh, and over His Word as we open up the Scriptures in just a few minutes to see what God has to say to us about the subject of heaven. So I hope you'll uh, uh, just enjoy this time, be blessed by this time, and in fact why don't we just just commit it to the lord now in prayer father for each one who is listening i pray lord that this service would be uh, a means of blessing to them lord that this would be a this service would be a tool in your hands to give hope to encourage uh, to engender faith lord to call the dead to life to lift up the the, the weary Lord, to do a thousand other things that I can't even think of to ask. Lord, would you use this this time and this service for your glory and for the joy of many? We pray for this in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: Borrowed innocence, the judge is my defense. I'm going free. Right when the gavel fell, I heard the freedom ring through the heart of hell. I'm going free, I'm going free. Glory, glory, hallelujah, you through my shackles.
2: you all so much and I'm so looking forward to the day that we can be together in the same physical space, worshiping and digging into God's Word together. So Pastor Ross, thank you so much for encouraging us to reflect on and to share what God has been doing in our life. I recognize that these past few months have presented millions of people all around our planet with horrible hardships and tragedies. However, I feel so blessed that in this time, I've not only been safe and healthy, but also growing in God's word. So about one month ago, one of our young adults leaders, Mazen, strongly encouraged us to um, open God's word every day and read. And looking back, I truly believe that that was God speaking through Mazin directly to my heart. The next morning, I woke up, I opened the Bible and I read. And every day since then, God has developed in me the practice of opening his word, digesting it and praying upon it. Um, and it's honestly, it's hard for me to articulate exactly the change that I feel. So. Back in January, uh, my school in Egypt where I taught, offered me the job of my dreams. And um, up until that point, I had been having conversations with Pastor Ross, seeking answers as I felt a bit of internal dissonance in regard to relationships and family dynamics and ultimately God's plan for me. I think that that job offer put into motion God's transformative plan for me. It was as if immediately I was faced with the reality of our transience. Now, of course, moving to Egypt is not permanent, but um, there was now a timeline to my time here at home with my family and realizing now a timeline to this very specific space of spiritual development, supported by our incredible church family. Now, for many of us, the world came to an absolute standstill at the beginning of April. And for me personally, at the beginning, my days seemed to pass with very little movement. And then God opened my eyes to see his words And my heart to follow his ways. When I started reading the Bible I immediately felt a shift, lots of movement. Reading the Bible every day has opened up our channel of communication in ways that I never thought possible Um, and praying to God has allowed me to work through challenges and obstacles. I've learned that God is not always asking us to be strong and courageous as it says in Joshua chapter 1 verse 6, but to be still and know that he is God as it says in Psalm 46:10. As he will always bring us through the fire and refine us in the process. Um, during one of the conversations with Pastor Ross, he presented to me the analogy of the door, an open door. On one side it says come, and on the other side, after walking through, it says chosen. And this image stayed with me every single day since he um, explained it. And honestly, I really struggled with the idea up until a couple weeks ago. I was on my weekly long run and my heart was pounding and it was wrestling too with this notion of freedom. Previously, I had struggled with the idea of that door because I felt that I would be leaving all of my freedoms behind by walking through it. And then suddenly I realized that I gain infinite freedoms when I walk through that door. Through the life and death of Jesus Christ, we are free. And it's this awesome truth revealed to us that brings us freedom through the fire. So I'm just so overwhelmingly thankful for God's timing. Thank you.
1: None beside Thee,
0: God Almighty, the 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 great
1: I Am, the great I Am, the great I Am, it's the great I Am. you. The demons run in fear at the mention of the name King of majesty. There is no power in hell or any who can stand before the power.
0: He was a beloved Canadian musician, a singer. He was the lead vocalist for the rock band, The Tragically Hip. And as you probably know, uh, back in the fall of 2017, millions of Canadians were saddened, if not heartbroken, at his his passing. He lost uh, a long, valiant battle with cancer. But a year before he died, however, uh, knowing that his illness was terminal, he agreed to an interview with uh, Peter Mansbridge from the CBC. And during that discussion, they got talking about death. And Downey used a metaphor that for death that I, I think is really interesting and quite fitting. He referred to death as a door or the door. I think it's a fitting uh, picture for death because... Well, what is a door? A door is a a passage from one place into another. And in many regards, that is what death is. It is the passage from this life into the next life, the afterlife. Now, thinking about death as a a door may be helpful, but it's still, for some of us, it's still a, a daunting picture because... Well for one we're many of us most of us are not really sure how close we are to that door and what's even more bothersome is that on our own we're unable to see through that door to what's on the other side so it can be a, a, it's a fitting picture but it can be a daunting picture and, and and for some lots of people they're they're quite content to just choose to not think about it and just just to live life and just well just see what happens. But lots of people just just can't do that. A lot of people um, agonize over this. They worry about it. A lot of people live in quiet fear of what is on the other side of that door. Now, wonderfully, when you read the Bible, you make this great discovery, and that is that the Bible tells us what is on the other side of the door. The, The Bible tells us lots about the afterlife. In fact, God tells you and me everything that we need to know about what happens after we die. He tells us in Scripture. And that's really what we have been studying during this series, isn't it? These last number of weeks, we have been in a teaching series in Scripture Called "What Happens When I Die"? It's it's a study of the afterlife, and we've been really looking at at what does well not at everything the Bible says because the Bible's got lots to say about the afterlife, but we've been looking at some some key things, some vitally important things for you and I uh, to to understand. And uh, we've we've covered we've come a long way, uh, but in these last two messages in this series, we're talking about. Well, probably the best part of the afterlife, and that's that's heaven. It's uh, we're, we're talking about. Last week we saw uh, we talked about what heaven is, especially in terms of what it is right now. And we saw in scripture that it's it's where where God dwells. It's where Christ is. It's where believers go when they die. But we also saw that what heaven is now is. Uh, not all that it will be eventually, because in the end, after the resurrection, after the the return of Christ and the resurrection and the judgment to come, in the end, the Bible tells us that God is going to make earth new. He's going to make earth new from what it is, and heaven and earth will merge into one. So that heaven will, in a sense, expand and God will relocate his throne into the new earth and that will be our forever home. So today, that's what I want to look at is not just not only just about future heaven, but I want to consider with you what heaven's going to be like. We've seen about what it is in terms of what it is now and what it's what it's going to be in God's word. But today I wanna to focus with you on what is heaven going to be like? What am I gonna see? What, what, what are we going to experience there? What will it be like to be there? And wonderfully, God gives us a glimpse into glory, into the future. And uh, one such glimpse he gives us is in Revelation 21 and 22. So will you turn there, if you've got a Bible, just open up to the book of Revelation. Last book in the Bible, right near the very end of the last book of the Bible, uh, chapter 21. And I'm going to read portions of chapters 21 and 22 of uh, of Revelation. We've uh, again we're we're looking at this this subject of uh, heaven, and uh, I think this this is our last sermon in this series, unless the Lord gives me something else here uh, in the next couple of days. Um, As far as my plans are concerned, this is where we're going to uh, wrap it up here with a view of heaven and what's heaven going to be like. I'm calling this sermon the Glories of Heaven, or if you will, five eternal joys that the Christian will experience in heaven all right so uh the glories of heaven and uh, we're looking at revelation 21 now revelation is written by the apostle john who was given a vision of what's to come from the lord uh late in his life and that's that's what we've got in the book of revelation here's what it says revelation 21 starting at verse 1 then it says then i saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem. So this is, this is, this is heaven, present heaven merging with new heaven. This is what's going to happen here with the new earth. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man." He will dwell with them. That is, God will dwell with them. He will dwell with people. And uh, so he will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be uh, and their death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who is seated on the throne said, behold, I'm making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. So you see, we can count on it. God's telling us he's going to give us a glimpse into glory here, and you can count on the truth of this. Verse 6, and he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I give from the spring of the water of life without payment. There's a picture of, of eternal salvation, eternal life. Verse 7 says the one, the one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake of fire that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. That's why we need Jesus. We need the forgiveness of sins. So that we can come into this place and not be outside of it. Verse nine says, Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bulls full of the seven last plagues, that's from earlier in Revelation, said to me, it came to me, spoke to me, sorry, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain, and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. Having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, as clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and at the gates twelve angels, and on the gates the names of the twelve tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed, and on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city. And Sorry, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. So we've got mention of tribes, referring to the tribes of Israel, mention of the apostles. We've got here a picture of this is going to be involve all of the redeemed people of God, Jew and Gentile, from the beginning to the end, who've, who've been faithful to God, who've loved him, who've believed in him are all in this wonderful place now i want to go ahead to verse 22 and i saw no temple in this city for its temple is the lord god the almighty and the lamb and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine in it for the glory of god gives it it gives it light and its lamp is the lamb who's the lamb that's jesus right Verse 24, "...by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there." So it's a very safe place. Verse 26, "...they," talked about the kings of the nations, "...they will bring into it the glory and honor of the nations." But nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. How do you get your name in the Lamb's book of life? Through Jesus, through turning and trusting in him. Now let me read one more paragraph, 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit in each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, But the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. The night will be no more. They will need no light of lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. What I've got here is I've got, I've got down in my notes, five eternal joys, five eternal joys that every Christian will experience in heaven, in future heaven, in your eternal home, five eternal joys that every Christian will experience. The first four are in no particular order. Okay. Um, So, so here we go. Number one, you ready? We will enjoy eternal security and peace in heaven. We will enjoy. Everyone who loves and follows Jesus will enjoy eternal security and peace. The first, the first verse we read, Revelation twenty-one, verse one, says that the sea was no more. Did you see that? At the end of the verse, the, the end of that verse, the the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. Now, uh, I don't think that this is a comment on uh, whether or not there will be uh, beaches in heaven. So if you love going to the beach like me, don't be down in the mouth about the seeing that the sea will be no more. I think there's a lot of symbolism here. You see, in, uh, in Revelation, oftentimes when we, when we read, when the, the sea is used as a picture, as a metaphor, it's associated with, with what's evil or what's chaotic or what's destructive. For example... In Revelation 13, the sea is the place from which a terrible beast is talked about who comes up out of the sea to do the to do Satan's bidding for him. And it's associated with with unbelievers and with with nations who rebel against God, who are opposed to him, who are antagonistic toward him. In Revelation uh, chapter 18, the sea is associated with idolatry and uh, greed and uh, 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 godlessness in Revelation 20 the sea is spoken of in terms of the place of the dead the the sea is is does not have a flattering place really in in the book of Revelation because it it symbolically speaks of that which is chaotic it speaks of destruction it speaks of evil it speaks of death that's the symbolism. So when you read here that the sea will be no more, it doesn't mean that in heaven we won't enjoy the beach or that you won't get to sail or you won't get the kayak or whatever it is that you like to do on the water. The meaning here with the sea is no more means that there will be no more destruction and death, right? In verse four, it says that there will be no more death. There'll be no more mourning. There'll be no more crying. There'll be no more pain anymore because the former things have passed away. Uh, so the evil and destruction and danger are part of this life, aren't they? But in heaven they will be no more. It will be a distant memory, if that. Even similarly, verse twenty-five, a different picture is used. Chapter twenty-one, verse five said, talks about this: the, the New Jerusalem having gates that never shut. Well, why in antiquity do you think they shut the gates? To protect the city from invaders. To protect against danger. But see, in heaven, there, there's going to be no danger, nor will there be nighttime, right? Remember, some of you are of a vintage, you remember notices coming on the television, it's eight o'clock, do you know where your children are? Well, why is that? But because because nothing good happens at nighttime, right? Well, that's not necessarily true. But lots of bad things happen after dark under the, the cover of darkness, right? Lots of crime happens. If you have stuff broken into or stolen, Lots of times it's done, I mean, not always, but lots of times it's done in the dark. The the picture here is of a place where there's no darkness and there's no need to lock the doors, as it were, because it's a safe place. It's a secure place. There's no danger. And I think this is just a wonderful encouragement for the Christian and a wonderful message of hope that our world needs to hear that there's coming a day when God is going to do an awesome thing and you want to be part of it. Because for a world that today is writhing in pain and in fear and in anger and despair, and heartache and sorrow and terrors abound, there's a, a heart cry from humanity for it all to stop. And, and really, there's, there's an instinctive knowledge within people that this is not the way it's supposed to be. And they're right. You're right. It's not the way it's supposed to be. It, it is this way because of sin. But in a coming day, God will, will judge sin, and he will make a new heaven, a new earth. And in that future heaven, in heaven, one day, anyone who loves Jesus will know the joy of security and peace. You know, I was thinking about this. In heaven, there's going to be no locks on anything. You'll, you'll never lock your door. You won't need any passwords in heaven. There'll be no passcodes on anything. Why? Because no one's ever gonna take any of your stuff. No one's gonna steal anything. It's gonna be. It's gonna be wonderful. You'll never lock your bike again. You'll never have to lock your windows. It's a place of security. It's a place of peace. The rest of knowing there will never be threat of any kind. That's what's coming. So that's number one, right? Number two, uh, another another. Uh, uh, joy, and eternal joy that every Christian will experience. Not only will will we experience security, we will also experience, we'll also enjoy perfect harmony. We'll enjoy security and peace. We'll also enjoy perfect harmony with one another. In heaven, there will be no divisions. There will be no spats. There will be, there'll be no violence. There'll be no warring between peoples. Look at uh, uh, verse twenty-six of chapter twenty-one, talking about the nations. It says they will bring into it, into heaven, into New Jerusalem, the glory and honor of the nations. In other words, they're going to honor the Lord. They're going to worship Him. How about verses um, in chapter? Uh, sorry, in chapter twenty-two, in verse two, the, the symbolism of it says it says the leaves of the trees. These these trees here of life in heaven. We're for the healing of the nations. Our God is a God of nations and God of peoples, the God of ethnicities, the God of races. And there in his eternal kingdom, it will be home of people from every nation and tribe and tongue and ethnicity and background. All of the peoples of God will be there. And uh, we will dwell in perfect harmony forever. In heaven, there'll be no divisions or suspicions or aversions. In heaven, there'll be no cliques, betrayals, or disappointments of one another. There'll be no more broken promises. There'll be no more self-interest. There'll be no more prejudice, no more racism. There will be a precious harmony and unity in heaven, in unity in Jesus together forever. It's going to be the way it should be, the way it was meant to be and even better. That's what heaven's going to be like. We're going to enjoy perfect harmony with one another. That's the second thing. We'll enjoy security, harmony. Third thing, we'll enjoy absolute purity. Absolute purity around us and within us. Heaven will be a place in which there will be no sin. You will not only not sin, you will also not be able to sin. That's what Paul uh, says in Philippians 1, verse 6, when he tells the Philippians, that he says, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. In other words, he's begun, he's saved you, now he is sanctifying you, making you more and more like Jesus, and he will bring it to its full conclusion in the end, in heaven revelation testifies to this notice chapter 21 and verse 4 again there's what is there not in heaven there's there's no there's no tears there's no death there's no mourning there's no crying there's no pain anymore because the former things have passed away well this tells me that it's impossible then for there to be sin in heaven because wherever you have sin you have sorrow wherever you have sin you have death the soul that sins shall die the bible says but there's no death in heaven so we know there's going, to, there's going to be no sin. Hebrews 9 and 26 says that Jesus appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin. So that sin to be put away from us. Here in this earth, we have no idea, do we, what this, is, what this will be like. I remember hearing a sermon one time on this very subject, on the topic of glorification, of what it will be like in heaven. And I remember how the the preacher began, probably the best sermon I ever heard in the afterlife. And he he began the sermon this way. He said, "Um, I have for you a confession today that for some might sound disconcerting, but here it is. I have no idea what I'm talking about. He went on to explain that it's not because he didn't study the scriptures, it's not because he hasn't read carefully, it's not because he hasn't worked hard at putting together his message. No, no, the reason he would say I have no idea what I'm talking about is because, because he's never experienced this, has, has no category, uh, has no experience or even taste of what it's like to have no sinful impulses in me or even in my neighbor, but in heaven, it's this is what it's going to be like. We're going to have no sin. Our hearts will be made pure. We'll have no sinful impulses, no sinful inclinations. Our our, our enemy, Satan, who tries to tempt us, he will be in hell. So he's not going to be around. And the world, the world will be 100% aligned with the will of God in this new World, I mean, those are our enemies, right? We talk about the sin, the, our, our our flesh, the devil, and the world, right? the 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 flesh, the devil, and the world. Well, these will be non factors in heaven. Just imagine the unadulterated joy that we'll experience when we're freed from sin, never to sin again. We will be in a place in which we will look upon the greatest human beauty that has ever been seen and yet we'll have have no impulse within us to lust because our hearts will be made pure. You see, it's not what's on the outside that's a problem, it's what's on the inside. Jesus said it comes from our hearts, but our hearts will be made pure. We'll be surrounded by beauty and wealth, but we'll have have no desire to, to take it and make it our own. We'll have no ounce of envy in us because we'll be made pure, and those around us will be made pure as well. We'll never again lie or or deceive anyone, because all the reasons we have in this world to lie and deceive will be gone. I mean, why is it that we lie and deceive? Well, you know, we lie to gain power, to gain an advantage. We lie and, and deceive to hide truths about ourselves we don't want to be known. We we want to protect our image. Sometimes we we fake it because we just want to look really spiritual in front of other people we perceive to being spiritual. We want to impress people. And we put on that mask sometimes when we come into church. All that will be out the window in heaven. We will have no lack. We will be fully satisfied in Christ. And there will be no there will be no impulse within us to lie or to deceive. We we will be we will be absolutely pure. You will be, and I will be. We will not sin, and we will never sin against one another. It's going to be amazing. So I, I love that hymn. Oh, that day when freed from sinning, I shall see thy lovely face, full arrayed in blood washed linen. How I'll sing thy sovereign grace. Come, my Lord, no longer tarry, bring thy promises to pass for I know thy power will keep me till I'm home with thee at last it's really reminiscent of that great verse in first John 3 and in verse 2 it says that when Jesus appears we will be like him I take that to mean we'll be morally pure we will be like him because we shall see him as he is. More on that in a moment and seeing the Lord. But the third thing that we'll enjoy is absolute purity around us and within us. Doesn't it sound good? We've seen so far that we will forever experience security, harmony, purity. Now, number four, we will enjoy God-given activity in service and worship of God. We will experience, we will enjoy god-given activity in service and in worship of god just like adam and eve were given dominion over the earth so also we will in a sense have dominion with christ on the new earth you say what in the world are you talking about look at revelation 22 in verse 5 it says there night will be no more They will need no light of the lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light. And they, that's us, they will reign forever and ever. Now to reign is like to have dominion. And if you know the book of Genesis, you know that when God created Adam and Eve, he gave them dominion over his creation. They were to work the creation. They were to care for the creation. They were to live in it, be industrious, and uh, live and thrive and, and enjoy what God had made. They were given responsibility. And I think that what Revelation 22 and verse 5 tells us is that you and I also are going to have responsibility in heaven. We're going to have, we're going to have work to do. We're going to have uh, activities to, uh, well, not just to keep us busy, but that will be part of our enjoyment of God's uh, new heaven, uh, uh, his, his new earth. Of our eternal heaven. I believe that we're going to invent things, that we're going to create things, we're going to develop things. Do you say, well, why do you say that? Well, because the gifts that we have, the abilities that we have, the talents that we have come to us from God. And how much better will they be in the new earth, in our resurrected bodies? When we are made, when we are free from the bonds of sin and we have greater increased capacities to imagine and to envision and to accomplish things and to do things and the cooperation we'll have together. We won't be fighting and dividing with one another. We'll be working together and what a place it's going to be. I think that that in heaven we're going to have many, many things to do in service of God, in worship of God, delighting in what He's He's given us. I believe that the arts will be alive and well in heaven, that the there will be there will be singing. In fact, we read in Revelation 14, three that even now in heaven there's a singing in heaven uh, where where there's a uh, it says they were John observed that they were singing a new song before the throne. God loves new songs. How about Revelation or how about Psalm one fifty that where the invocation there is to praise the Lord with all kinds of different instruments. Do you play an instrument? Well, you might be playing it a whole lot better when you're in heaven in that glorified body maybe you don't play an instrument you say Ross I play the radio and that's about it you might be surprised at what you'll be able to do when you're in heaven (laughs) and when you have all eternity to work on those skills and to develop and to learn you'll have some good teachers around you I think that we'll I think that we'll write stories I think there'll be plays and there'll be movies of course many of the themes will be drastically different from in this world there'll be gone will be the dark themes that are so tainted with evil but there will be, I think, a a world of wonder and delight and joy and industry and creating things and exploration. That's what I think. As I think about heaven and, and what the Bible tells us about what we'll be like and what heaven will be like. When it says here that we will reign forever, I don't think it means we'll just sit on a really big, cool chair. I think it means that again, just like it did in the beginning, only a gazillion times better, without the possibility of sin, we will serve the Lord, and we will worship him, that's what heaven's going to be like, we'll enjoy security, we'll enjoy harmony, we'll experience purity, we will be engaged in activity, but the fifth thing is, well, it is this fifth thing now is going to be the most important thing, because I think without this fifth thing, none of the other things are even a thing, if that will make any sense. The very fact that there will be joy in heaven, the very fact that there will be eternal security in heaven, the very fact that there will be purity, the very fact that there will be God-given activity, all of these things and many, many, many others that we could have described here in our time together, all of these things will only be because of this final one most important thing of all. The best thing, the most important thing, the greatest thing about heaven is this. Is that we will enjoy forever the presence of God. We will forever enjoy the presence of God. That is the single greatest, most wonderful thing about heaven. It is, if I could put it this way, what will make heaven, heaven. Heaven is that God will be there, and we will see His glory. I want you to notice verse 3 of 21. Behold, I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, now who's on the throne? It's the Lord, right? So it's, it's God giving us this. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. It's with people, it's with humanity. He will dwell with them, and they will be His people, and God himself will be with them as their God. Do you notice that emphasis? God himself will be with them. He doesn't just say, doesn't just stop at saying God will dwell with them. He says God himself will be there. He's, he's, he's emphatic that God will be present, ever present, up close and personal. Notice 22 in verse four. They will, that's the saints, you and me, we're the they, they will what? What will you do, loved one? They will see his face. <laughs> Isn't that a wonder? I can't begin to imagine what this will look like. You probably know that song. I can only imagine. Bart Millard's song from Mercy Me. I can only imagine what it would be like. It's a song written about just, just trying to... I, I can't begin to fathom. What will it be like to be in heaven, to see God... We will see the Lord Jesus. But there's a sense in which, and I, and I don't know what this will look like and what this will be, but there's a very strong sense in which we will, in every, in, in every gracious means that God gives us, we will see God. I wonder what that will be like. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. I think in the very least, this testifies to the utter transformational experience of seeing God. When we see him, it will be as though we've never seen anything before. Because all that we have seen and all that we have experienced will now be seen through the lens of having seen God. Jesus says, the great blessing that his people can experience in the end is that they will see God in Matthew 5 and this is what we see here in this text this will be an unhindered up close and personal fellowship that we'll have from our first day through all eternity with God all that hinders our relationship with God now will be no more what kinds of things hinder our relationship with God right now well fear, fears that we have, doubts that we have, weariness, distractedness, our lack of mental, even emotional capacities to enjoy God as much as we could or should. All those things will be behind us. Sam Storms Puts it this way: He says, "In that day, there will be no bodily lusts to defile your heart, no physical fatigue to cloud your mind, no wicked impulses against which you must fight, no dullness of spirit to hold you back, no lethargy of of soul to slow you down, no weakness of will to keep you in bondage, no lack of energy to love someone else, no absence of passion to pursue what is holy. In that day, we'll have greater capacities." to enjoy God and having seen him (laughs) it that will be the greatest treasure of all to be with him to enjoy his presence forever friends this is the ultimate goal of salvation this is why Jesus died he died not only to remove your sin although he did die to do that he came not only to make you right with God, but he indeed came to do that. But He those, those things are, are steps along the way toward the ultimate thing, and that is to bring you to God. That's what Peter says, that Christ died, 1 Peter 3.18. Christ suffered to bring us to God so that we can be friends with him now and that we can one day be with him truly forever. The cross... Uh, gets the barrier of sin out of the way so that we can know God and one day we can go to God to be in his presence forever. In fact, this is a major theme throughout scripture. If you think back to the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned, the great consequence of death, uh, with that came a kind of separation. Remember, there's this banishment from the garden and there is a sense of brokenness and fellowship between God and people. But God, in his goodness, this story of redemption that he has been writing, that, that you and I are part of, it's been apparent that his endeavor is, has ever and always been to be with his people. You recall the nation of Israel, that God gave them those, that glorious task of building a tabernacle, and then later a temple in which he would dwell with his people. See, He told Moses in Exodus 25, 8, let them make a sanctuary that I may dwell in their midst. God wants to be with his people. He doesn't want a separation between between you and him. He wants, he wants to dwell with us. He wants to dwell with you. And um, uh, and so what what did what, what did God do? Well in the Old Testament they built a they built a tabernacle and later a temple. The tabernacle in the temple was a rectangular structure one-third of it was called the most holy place. And that is the place that represented the the real presence of God with his people, the most holy place. It was a perfect cube. Width, height, depth was all the same. It was a perfect cube. Now, what's heaven going to be like? Well, I want you to notice chapter 21 and verse 16. I skipped over reading this earlier, but go and have a look at it now. Uh, John is describing some dimensions of this great new Jerusalem, this this new heaven that he's he's uh, seeing. And I think these I think these dimensions are largely symbolic. Not everybody agree with me, but I, I, th- I think they are. But look, look, this is for sure symbolic. Look at the page. This is awesome. The city lies four square, its length the same as its width. And it measured... And he measured the city with his rod, 12,000 stadia. Listen, 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 listen. Its length and width and height are equal. It's a cube. Strange looking heaven, isn't it? So then you you remember, wait a minute, wait a minute. Revelation. The more I know my Old Testament, the better I'll understand Revelation. What, where, where is there a cube in the Old Testament? Where? (gasps) Yes, the most holy place. Where God dwells, where he manifests his presence. What's John showing us about heaven? It's a place where God dwells. Have a look at 21 and verse 22. And I saw no temple in the city. So no tabernacle, no temple. For its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty. You see, in that day in heaven, God himself will be the temple because he will be present and he will be present with us this loved ones this is the goal of salvation that's why remember that Paul says in Ephesians that the Holy Spirit is God's down payment of our future salvation God the Holy Spirit dwells in us as a down payment a guarantee of what's to come what's to come when we will be with him so God comes and he is with us now by his spirit as the promise for you and for me that one day he will be with us in the fullness of his glory and that that is that's just the best part of heaven is to be with God it's it's the it's the goal of salvation it's the single most important reality about heaven It is the single most important reality about heaven, the very fact that we will enjoy the presence of God forever. God will be there, and he will dwell with us, and we will be his people, and that's the way it always will be. Steve Lawson puts it this way, God's glory will fill and permeate the entire new heaven, not just one centralized place. Thus, wherever we go in heaven, we will be in the immediate presence of the full glory of God. Wherever we go, we will enjoy the complete manifestation of God's presence throughout all eternity. We will never be separated from direct, unhindered fellowship with God. It's going to be a wonderful place, isn't it? And being that place where God is, he is the source of all joy. He is every pleasure and joy that we ever experience, every pure pleasure and joy we ever experience finds its root in him because he is our full and forever satisfaction. Many of you know my favorite verse, Psalm 1611 says, in your presence, talking about God, in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. What what is what is there that could ever exist that could give us maximum joy that never ever ends? No one other than the eternal, infinite God. And in that day in heaven, He will dwell with us, and we will dwell with Him. And no one and nothing will change that. These are the glories. Some of the glories of heaven. We'll enjoy eternal security. We'll enjoy perfect harmony. We'll enjoy, uh, we'll enjoy a perfect harmony and unity. We'll uh, enjoy a wonderful activity. And we'll enjoy God's presence forever. Security, harmony, purity, and presence. The very presence of God forever. Loved ones, as we think upon these things, I want to encourage you, if not challenge you, to be faithful to the Lord. It's a good question to ask sometimes when we're studying scripture. Why is the Lord telling us this? There's lots of reasons, I think, why God would tell us about heaven. One thing is to encourage us. There's lots of discouragement in our lives. We look around the world today and we see much to discourage us. In the midst of a pandemic, of course, there's frustration, there is stress, there are burdens. And we also watch the events this week have, have just broken our hearts, many of us. And we see a world that's writhing in pain and suffering and injustice. And we, we lift our eyes to heaven and we say, how long, O oh Lord, how long? And then we open our Bibles and we're given a view, a glimpse in the glory, a view of heaven, a preview of heaven. And certainly the Lord gives us, to, gives us this to encourage us and to help us keep going. But I think he also gives us this to challenge us. And we, when you look at the broader context of Revelation, one of the main purposes that, that John has in, in Revelation is to challenge and really empower the saints to keep going for the Lord. Do not compromise. Do not go to the left or to the right, but keep on following Jesus. Be faithful to Him. Pursue holiness. Serve Him. Live for Him. Give your life for Him if that's what He calls for. But go all out for Jesus because in the end, it will all be worth it. And I think I'm probably not doing you justice as a preacher if I don't give you this challenge to do not give up. Do not fall for the lies of sin that that tells that there's greater pleasure to be had in in sinful and illicit pursuits in this world. But know that great and final and full pleasure is found in God and it's worth it to live for Jesus. Don't be don't be unfaithful to him. Keep going for him. It's like we're saying this. When you follow Jesus, this is what's on the other side of the door. Glory and joy it's worth it to follow jesus will you keep following him and won't you come and follow him when you do you when you give yourself to him you may indeed face troubles in this world but as you can see the troubles we face today don't even begin to compare with the glories that we'll experience tomorrow